Good evening. God is so wonderful, isn't he? Thank you, Tom, for such a gracious introduction. I hope I'll make it good. <laughs> you know, this evening was a little emotional for me uh, just to see the honoring of Dr. Warren. Uh, a couple of years ago, Dr. Pahachek, Greg Pahachek, and an elder from my church, City Church, um, went to Dominican Republic. I think there were about eight or nine hundred pastors and leaders. I hope this is not prophetic. We were in uh, Dominican Republic and there was a conference where Dr. Warren, I like to call him Pastor Warren because he's truly a pastor. And it was so amazing just to see those people blessed over there. It's, uh, he transcended so much. 57 years of uh, ministry is something else. I mean, none of us in this room, some, most of us in this room probably haven't been in ministry or even born for all of these years of his ministry. I remember about five years, no, ten years ago, um, we wanted to, I love research, and we wanted to do some research about the city of Madison. So we went away to Wisconsin Dells, and there were only four of us, and... Pastor Pritchard and Pastor Warren, myself and Dave Conkle, we spent about three or four days just going back to history of Madison. Man, does he have information. Does he have insights? Has he not tracked the trends of what is going on in churches? It was amazing. I have it all. I have it actually recorded all of the four days because it was so rich just to hear that. But some of you don't know some of his personal life story. You know, when he was a young man or a young boy, when I'm told, he was very shy. He, he couldn't even order food in a restaurant. He was that shy. And now see how he comes from a very humble beginning. You know, he used to dig out rocks, take out potatoes for a farmer, sustain his ministry like that. Paid a lot of price. Today we're looking for high salaries and whatever, but this man is the real deal. What a delight to have him. I'll tell you what, if you just take his email address, anytime you need some insight, that's the go-to man. Seriously. So amazing. You know, I want to read something. Um, this is his watchword. 
You know, if anybody, anybody in Madison who knows him, this is his watchword. This is his usual that'll come out. He would say, read, pray, and obey. God will be with you all the way. I'm going to take that personally. It's so good. Read, pray, and obey. Amen. Pastor Warren, thank you. Thank you. I don't know, countless souls are blessed because of your life. What an inspiration. Someday when I grow up, I'd like to be like you. Wasn't this a great conference? Man, the first night had Jody speak, and I was praying, oh God, please, not again. She stole all my notes. 80% of that passage that she was talking about, even the exegesis, was down to that point, down to that line. And I'm saying, now what do I do? Now what do I do? I mean, can I preach on Isaiah 6 again? Um, I was tempted, actually, because that was the word that I had. But then I waited on God. I said, no, give us something fresh tonight. The next day we heard Jeff. What an awesome guy. Someone shouted out and said, uh, we couldn't afford you. By the time we finished hearing him, he's worth every cent. <laughs> Honest to goodness, he's truly worth every cent. I was so immersed and blessed by what he was saying. And then we had Todd. Whoa. Did he not stir up something? Great challenge. I needed to be challenged. Man, after a well-deserved Spanking like that, we need an encouraging word. <laughs> so, I'm going to share something encouraging, but that's got nothing to do with the message I have tonight. But I thought it's great for us to just get in on this. About four years ago, Many mission heads of worldwide missions got together and went to Google. The top level Google guy is a Christian. And so the conversation around the table was what can technology do for us in extending the kingdom of God? What can it do? And so the, while they were discussing, someone had this question. Because Google does a lot of analytics, and they know how many people have gone to your websites and everything. So they said, is there any way you can track how many people ask how many, how many people would ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is God? Or how do I know him? And so Google said, yeah, we'll do this. And so they went to work to get a tracking 
software for us. Google is banned in China, so there were other search engines. So they worked with the search engines, and they put it all together. And I want to show it to you in real time, because and the, the, the counter stops at midnight in California and resets and starts over. I just want to show you the hunger in the world today. Approximately a million people are asking that question. Every day online from all over the world, approximately, sometimes more. Approximately 85,000 people give their hearts to the Lord online. Because that's the next counter. The third one is approximately about 40 or 50,000 people say we want to be discipled and give their email address. This is real-time tracking. Can you put that on on the screen, please? This is happening. See, this is the gospel visit, the people who are asking. And these, can you see those things popping up? Those are the places right now they're asking, who is Jesus? Who's God? And this 67,813 are the ones who have said, yes, I want to receive Jesus. Actually, I have another slide that can, you, I wanted to show the time zone that we're in. And depending upon the time zone, you would see, and this 63,000, this is actually rare. But we have this many who say, I want discipleship. Most of the inquiries are coming here in the Middle East area and Indonesia. See, as I said, there was one already popping, another one. And so this blue is gospel visit, the orange, they said, I want Jesus. Third is 63,961. Right now, by the time I finish speaking, I think we would be at least 900,000, depending how long I speak. <laughs> so, and the, and the counter resets. What's my point? Why is this encouraging for us? Because there's something happening in the world today. I mean, it's, the world is getting so hungry for God. And you're living, and I'm living in an unprecedented time where the harvest is ripe. And this is only for people who are asking online. Imagine the rest of us who are on the trenches right there in the front lines. How many more are hungry for that? Is somebody listening to me? You are in a wonderful time. When I say you, the word you is a plural, a plural you, includes me. Right now, this, this world is hungry. And we need to do this and escalate the speed of this for the urgency of it. Because we want Jesus to come back soon. Amen. We want our king back. Quickly. Because he said, I will come back when all peoples of the earth has heard my name. Yes? or heard my gospel. That's encouraging news. Now I'll get to my message. I don't know how encouraging that will be. <laughs> I felt 
but uh, there's a shift happening in the world. I mean, with that uh, website that you just saw, there is a major transition happening in the world. Major. Everywhere. I've been to 62 countries, and, and I see the same thing. Major. And I feel like there's a transition coming to FCA. I feel like there is a transition coming to your individual churches. I feel like there may be in transitions to some of you individuals right here. Because in the state of transition, there also accompanies with it crisis. With every transition, there would be a crisis. And with every crisis, there would be a recovery. And so here tonight, as the word comes today, because I prayed and I know in my heart there is a, such a hunger in FCA for the desire of the wave of the Holy Spirit to come. I don't believe there was any single one that would say, I, I don't need that wave. But you know what, if you, even if you're just sitting, you'll be sitting on the bleachers and you'll, find, you'll be not in the game, or you'll be watching the parade going, this is the time to jump in and not worry about petty issues of, you know, who is who and why are they doing this and killing somebody and, you know, th those kinds of things are continually happening and it's time to seize that and seize the moment that God has for us in this whole place. Are you with me? So let me read from... 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 following. Just uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. I promise I'll get excited, don't worry. I'm an Indian, I'm very soulish, and I don't apologize, I'm an Indian. I mean, some of you guys here call themselves Indians. They're fake. <laughs> we are the real Indians. I mean, Columbus came looking for us. <laughs> Are you with me? And so, and so as an Indian, I'm going to be very excited and soulish and all of that stuff. I'm emotional. And if you're not, then get a grip with the Holy Spirit. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to Jordan and let, us, uh, let every man take a beam from there and let us make a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one of the servants said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they had come to Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in the and made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out and picked it up. You see, 
This particular passage is an interesting passage because it almost looks like an insert. It has no bearings to the previous chapter or following what it happens, or what happens after that. There's a war going on and then we see uh, the healing of Naaman and all that. Are you with me? It's almost like an insert. It's not that this miracle was such a spectacular one that it made it to the gospel, to the Bible, or to that book. But there are times, I wondered about that. How come there are some inserts like that? And allegorically speaking, now it's going to be a Pentecostal preaching, all right? And so just give me some preacher's license here. You know, if you look at it in that way, there are many times in your life and in my life, there are incidences that happen and that we do not know why it happens. or It has no bearing to our past or to the future. But it's happening right there and then. And we don't understand why that's happening. And so here we look at the first passage, first verse that says, you know, this, these guys are having coffee around the table and thinking, guys, you know, I mean, the, Elisha had a school, school of prophets, and some theologians say he had 30, and some say 50, 60, or 120. Let them fight, but he had a school about the numbers, I mean. And so these guys were sitting down there and they're saying, one toilet, small place, this is too small for us. We need to do something about this. And so they actually got a great blueprint. And so they went to Elisha. And you know when they said, this space is too small for us, we need a bigger space. I believe, figuratively speaking, in your life and in my life, God is saying, the capacity of your heart is small compared to what I want to give you. To somewhere that I want to take you. So I believe there's a capacity anointing coming for some of us here who are desiring to see God do more. Not we do more, but God do more. Is somebody listening to me? And so here we're talking from a small to big. I mean, if you're single and you get married, that's a transition. And then when you go into a one-bedroom apartment, you get a baby, now you're thinking of a two-bedroom apartment. And then it goes on and on and on and on, and you want to do that. And then all the kids go away, and then you downsize it. That's another one. Or if you have a divorce, that's another transition. It's a painful one. Or if you're a widowed. or These are transitions in life and there are ups and downs, good and bad, that happens in our lives and we don't know when and where how we should respond for real. Because in transition, there is a blur. In transition, there is a lack of understanding. Because if, you, uh, if you've ever been in a circus, there is what you call the trapeze act. You see, a trapeze artist holds onto the bar and swings and back and swings and back. And there, there is the other guy throwing another bar. And the bar just comes and goes. And so the rhythm takes place. And so here's this guy, needs to go there, holds onto this bar, and is swinging and swinging. The only thing is he has to let go to hold on. Somebody listening to me. Some of us have been so familiar with our rhythm 
that we are holding on to the bar and we do some cosmetic changes in our ministry or lifestyle or whatever that is and still have not cut the bar to go there. You see, we're holding on to the bar and some of us in that rhythm. We're still comfortable with our rhythm. It's become predictable. And so we do a little bit of change. Okay, let's have rap in our worship. Okay, let's have some smoke going on in our worship. Uh, man, I tell you, the new generation, like he said, they want it raw. And they want it like it is. And it is time. What we did in this rhythm was powerful, radical for the generation that you were in. Because a biblical generation is 40 years. And it's time to transition from that to the new generation. You know what is radical? Anything that is done that is different from the previous generation. But the gospel is still the same. Is somebody listening to me? But there's something that happens here. When you leave, and there are some people who are leaving, and for some nanoseconds, they're suspended in the air. They're neither here, neither here. It is a terrifying place to be. Because you're so used to this, and now you've left it, and you're right there, suspended in the air, wondering what would happen, whether this bar will come, or will I miss it, or did I make a mistake, oh God, this is a mistake, all of the stuff. Even if you fall, there's a big net called grace, it'll hold you. Boom, climb up again, and try. You see... I believe FCA is that place where you're supposed to leave this bar and hold on to that bar and go to what your dream and vision that must be unfolded right before your eyes. Are you with me? You see, God's given you a vision. God's given each one of us a vision. And if we are holding on to the vision, the way we were doing, and, uh, and if you're not willing to take the risk to jump and hold on to that, we're not going over there. We're not going over there. FCA will be a dinosaur. We'll be a bunch of old pastors. That's it. You know, it's time for you pastors to understand what it means to transition. What it means, come on, in 40 years you can't find a person that's good enough to take your church? What a lie. I mean, come on, you know, I know I'm, this is one, one message that I have. I might as well say whatever I can. And I'll drive back home tomorrow, I'll be all fine. I'll have communion with you just to know we're reconciled. So i got to tell you like it is. Because if we don't find someone right now, a Timothy, a Silas, or whoever, and we don't release that, you will stay in the same swing. And yes, you will have some bright spots. Yeah, you will have some good things to say for a few little bright things that have happened in your ministry. And that's not because of you, that's because of the mercy of God. That's because of the grace of God. Are you with me? Yes. 
Because God's looking for a new generation that is radical, raw, looking for the hungry world to go and save them. But we are still holding on to this rhythm over here. Are you with me? I'm not saying that you guys are bad. Not at all. I'm not saying that old thing, becoming old is bad. I'm getting old, I know that. But what am I doing? What should my next season of life be? How should I impact the world way more than all your previous? Are you with me? I was in Myanmar some 60 years, I mean, two, two years ago. I was born in Myanmar. So I went and I found the place where I was born. I was dilapidated. I was a Hindu boy. I came to that place, it almost became hallowed for me. I said, God, there are only two decisions I couldn't make, every other decision I made. And that is choosing my parents and choosing the place I was, where I was born. That was in your hands. 60 years ago, you took mercy on me. And you extracted me, gave me grace, and saved me. 60 years later, I'm coming here, God, thanking you for this gift of life. Is there a commission for me? You see, old age is a great age to be at. Because Leviticus 19.32 says, Rise up at a gray-headed man, and so doing you honor the Lord. We have to become a resource. The wealth that we have. You see, methods no longer work. It's principles. And principles are held with this treasure of old age. Amen? I'm going off the point here. Let me come back, Sam. Come back. So here in this transition, we're going. And these guys, having coffee, went to Elisha and said, Elisha, this place is too small. We figured this out. Every one of us will take one beam and we'll go build a nice place, big place by the Jordan. What do you say? And Elisha says, go. You see, many of us are like that. We have our plans down, especially some of us who are thinking of building of some sorts or whatever, or whatever that your initiatives are, and you get the plans down, and you pray with your elders, and you pray with everybody, and then you get the green light from God. And so, yeah, God gave us a green light, let's go do it. Yes, you may have, but there's a whole whale of a difference when you invite God into your plans. Many of us get the green light, but God is out of the configuration. We are driving the plans. And then it gets derailed, and then you said, what happened? What happened? I thought we got the green light from you, God. What happened here? But then there's one guy who knows Elisha has a hotline with God. And he says, you know, sir, would you mind coming with us? 
And so he says, I'll come with you. Look, Elisha was such a gentleman. He would not come unless invited into. God does not come unless he's invited into it. You want your plans to be anointed? Invite him at every step for the fulfillment. Amen? There's nothing wrong in having plans, but invite him. You know, if you look at Elisha, it gives you a picture of how God or Jesus would look like. Of us going to God. You know, if ever I'm lost, this is so rich, I say this all the time. If ever I'm lost somewhere, the only chapter that I would like to have is Isaiah 40. I can live on it till Jesus comes or I die. Because in Isaiah 40, I get this picture of God. You know, from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe is 120 million light years. And God says, I span the heavens. I can't even span this music stand here. Can you imagine if I had to span this, how huge I must be? How massive I must be just to span this. Can you imagine God? He says, I span the heavens. How massive, huge he must be. You know, in that same chapter, he says, the heavens is my throne and the earth is my footstool. You know, he can kick the earth into oblivion. And nobody can find it. I mean, that's how huge my God is. That's my God. I mean, that's the God you and I worship. He is so awesome. Amen? You know, in the same scripture, he says, I take dirt and weight in a weighing scale. I pour it, and then I make the Rockies and the Andes and the Swiss Alps and the Himalayan range. Sometimes my wife comes with me when we're going. 50 feet away from the check-in counter, I'm thinking, what in the world is she carrying in that suitcase? And it's heavy, 50 feet. Here God is putting it in a weighing scale. How strong is my God? How strong is my God? That he could take the whole earth like this and create a range. That's my God. That's my God. You know, in Revelations, he says, I hold seven stars and no sweat. He's holding seven stars. This is as big as we can see. Anybody been to the beach before? Can you take your left hand out? Just like that. Come on, your pastors, you know me. And take your right hand and pass through over that. And when you do that, there's a little hollow here. It's called uh, the hollow of your hand, the depth. What's it called? How much water can I put in the hollow of your hand? What is not when you quantify it? Four ounces. I like this man. And how many, uh, not ounces now, how much water can you put in this? One what? Spoon? Tablespoon? Teaspoon? Okay. So the difference, women always go by teaspoons and <laughs> tablespoons. Guys, it's a, what? Four ounces. 
You see, when God, I mean, can you stand in front of the Atlantic Ocean and say, God says, I have the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean, the South China Sea, all the seas, all the waters in the hollow of my hand, and that's my God. He is so awesome. That's the God you and I worship. That's the God we come to. That's the God we need to go to. That's the God where all our answers are. The problem we have is a small picture of our God, and that's why we have problems. We need to have a big picture of our God. A God is so big. It's, it's, you know, we can come and sit down and worship God, but, you know, we should have the awesomeness of God. This magnificent God. This great God. This strong God. You see, that's who we go to. Amen? Not to our intellect. That's important. But to that God. And now, the reason why is from that transition, you have a crisis. Are you with me? In the crisis, what happens is here, they, he says, I'll go with you. And these guys start to break down the branches. And all of a sudden, the axe head falls down. And he says, my God, this is, alas, master, there's such an anguish in him. He says, I lost my accent, and he's held with a stump. You know, many of us sitting here, we've lost our accent. We got a stump. And what can you do with some noise? And Pentecostals are great at that. Glory to God, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. I bind your sight in the... We're very good. And then when we hit people, they get wounded. I mean, we're not just a little then they get wounded. It's we need to get our axe head. In the good old days we used to call oh, this is the cutting edge ministry. Oh, this is a cutting edge church. Today the cutting edge church you look at those big twenty-five thousand member churches. I preached in them. And then you see, well, that's just cutting it. You know what? I like to preach in 75-member church. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, God must love small churches. That's why there's so many of them. <laughs> Are you with me? It, yeah, it's electrifying to speak to a large number, yes. But when it comes to seeing the discipleship, Seeing the growth of people, it is so rewarding. Amen? Amen? It is so rewarding. I mean, I'm not upset if you guys have big churches. Invite me sometime. <laughs> Are you with me? You see, many of us don't have a cutting edge. We go to YouTube or we go to some sermon central and get our sermons from there. We read some books and we get inspired by people and we recycle them and bring a message. It is called secondhand revelation. When was the last time you sat before God and got a first time revelation? 
And we are, are, I mean, yes, God uses what you're doing and how you've imported stuff and fixed it together. And you suffered that night, got a message going, got a series going, some of us, and we do it. But most of the time, we fail to sit and wait before God for a first-hand revelation. Because God is wanting to give that first-hand revelation to you. I'm not saying that resource is bad. I mean, yeah, it's all right to get stuff. But you know, after a while, you, it'll, it'll erode. When you have your own cutting edge, sharpness from God. You know, my pastor used to say, Pastor Tom, about two years ago, you know, one of his messages about waiting on God. And he gave an acronym on wait. You know what then wait in his acronym meant? Why am I talking? <laughs> he must have got it from his wife. <laughs> Why am I talking? You see, some of us are so frightened with the, with the moments of silence. You know, if he's the king of kings, if he's the lord of lords, if he's the worthy of all our praise, are we willing to wait on God? Because we are so used to instant gratification, we want the answer now. And he has to work within 45 minutes. He has to come and do all kinds of things. And in his mercy, he does that. He loves us, and that's why he does that. But the reality is, he's looking for an intimacy with you so that you can wait for him. Because the king never waits for people. People wait for the king. Jody was right on the other day when she said, America knows democracy. We don't know monarchy. You don't know what it means to serve a king. Because when you serve a king, we have no rights. We are called servants of God. And a servant has no rights. If you come to some of the third world countries where I come from, we have domestic servants. They don't come and say, today I'll do the laundry and tomorrow I'll wash dishes and day after tomorrow I'll sweep and mop the floor. No. The lady says, you do this today. No questions. Today in our churches, we have to have 10 reasons before we do anything. We have to have 10 reasons before we do anything. You know what God is looking for very simple. In the last three days, we've been getting this pounding upon us. Is simply one word. Obedience. Simple. Obedience. And not partial obedience. Because partial obedience is equal to disobedience. God is looking for joyful, instant, whole obedience. Delayed obedience is also equal to disobedience. Are you with me? And so here, are you willing, pastors, I'm asking you a question. Are you willing to sit before God six hours and not hear anything from God? Do you have to have some artificial worship music to get you into mood? Some get you into the ambience. In the good old days, there were no CDs. They sat before God. 
Now you're saying, okay, that was 17th century. Very true. Maybe. You know, I love research. You know, I, I used to study about the Moravian church. The Moravian movement. Early 1700s, when Count Zinzendorf began that movement. So I was in Germany a few years ago. You know, in that movement, they started a prayer meeting that went for 100, 100 years nonstop. 365, 24-7. Talk about a fire not going out. 100 years, 24-7. So I wanted to go see this. Of course, that house of prayer, the very house of prayer that we used to come and pray, fire came and burned it down. But there's a residual. It's about maybe 20 feet long wall. About maybe... 10 or 11 feet tall. That's all there is left. And in the middle of that, there is this bell, original bell. It's still standing. I went there. I looked at that wall. And I said, my goodness, this wall has recorded every single prayer that was prayed in this house of prayer. This wall has recorded every prophetic unction, every prophetic word that has come. This wall is a witness to see those missionaries that were prayed out and sent. Some of these missionaries sold themselves as slaves if they didn't have the, to pay for their way. I put my hand on that wall and I didn't know what to even pray. I put my hand there and I said, and I started to cry. I do not know why I cried even. But I knew something I was touching was beyond anything that I've experienced. And so I said, Lord, you know, I'm making this up at that time. I didn't have a premeditated asking. I said, Lord, if there's any way you could give me a minuscule of that intercessory prayer burden in my heart. Just minuscule. I'd be very happy, God. Right behind that, about maybe 200 yards away, Count Zinzendorf used to have a garden. He used to call it God's Acre. He would go there and pray. He would have his elders pray. There's a room right at the back. I don't know whether it's still the original one or not, but the interpreter who's with me he said, you know, whenever there was a disagreement in the church with elders, they would take, he would take them into that room, lock them up, and put a pot of water. And so you can't come out until you reconcile. Come on, come on. Such was the austere measures. I mean, you might be thinking, this is a cult. This is what. But they believed in a principle. Pursue peace and holiness without which you cannot see God. I mean, if you don't have peace amongst your own people, you cannot go further. You might go with your charisma, but you cannot go further. It's, we are in a new season, dearly beloved. We're coming into a new season, a new place of God of, in His generosity, outpouring of your Holy Spirit, of His Holy Spirit upon you and your church. And this is not just you have to yearn for it. It's a gift. He's coming anyways. 
if you're not prepared, I'll come to that in a minute. So I went to this God's Acre. Do you know, uh, let me tell you something about his worship team. I mean, this is how he used to do. He had a prerequisite. He said, none of you worship team can come up. You know, in the church, it's a very unique church. Everything's in white. I thought they needed to go to India to understand color. <laughs> the pews were white, the curtains were white, the windows were white, the pul pulpit was white. Behind the pulpit, about four steps up, there's a long table about 20 feet, white chairs behind, and on the table were Bibles and concordances. And the thing was, if the preacher would preach, and if he went outside of what he would preach, these elders would say, stop, that's not in the Bible. Imagine preaching in that church. I mean, the word of God was so central for them. The word of God was so, so important for them. They, they loved the word of God. I mean, I wish I had enough time to just simply pour out some more what the Moravian church did. But that isn't my po point. Behind them is an elevated place and that's where the worship team would come. And this is his prerequisite. He says, none of you can come and stand and worship unless you had personal worship of six hours in the God's acre. And then all of you should have another six hours together worshiping, not worship practice. And I'm not talking about, oh, your guitar's out of tune, she's not singing well. Musicians are sensitive people. I mean, really sensitive people. But you know what Count Zinsendan says? I don't care if you're sensitive. Can you imagine Saturday morning, 6 o'clock, they would come. And individually, they worship for six hours, staying in the presence of God. And afternoon, after they would have their lunch, whatever, and they would group together and they would worship together for another six hours. And then Sunday morning, they will come and stand there and worship. Because for him, he says, worship is the place where they radiate God's compassion. They radiate God's love. They radiate God's healing. They radiate God's hope. They radiate God's encouragement. It is the worship that brings the heart into a place in the readiness to receive. Today, we have good worship. I'm not faulting on anything. But what's your priority as pastors of the church? Because worship is one that lifts people up into the heavenly places to be seated with the King of Kings so that when you're there, you can have a heavenly perspective of the earthly problems. That's really why worship was so central for them and it was so holy for him. And he said, that's my prerequisite. And people who would pass through the town, there would be a magnet that will draw them to that church. It was the only church. I mean, in that town. But they would come. 
because worship was holy. Worship reflected the, the book of Psalms says, you radiate the face of God. Radiating the face of God. But that still isn't my point. You know, now if you go into that God's acre, it's a graveyard. It's so, you know, it's hallowed ground. There's graves of every single Moravian missionary that they could exhume and bring them home. And each one of them looked identical, but with a different headstone. And I could recognize several Indian languages and several other languages. And they were all there. And I was going through, and I said, these are the heroes of faith. These are the guys that were prayed out of that prayer meeting. Prayer meeting, not church, prayer meeting. Today you ask for a prayer meeting in your church, two old ladies come for intercession. And yet your church has an issue with schools not permitting prayer. I mean, how dare they say my school's not permitting prayer when you have an opportunity to pray in church when the pastor calls, there is no one showing up. And so what does the pastor do? Throw a pizza in. We have child care. We will do this. You know what, America, please forgive me for being forthright with you. American church has become a church of convenience. If it's convenient, I will do this. If it's inconvenient, I will not do this. You see, God, when he comes to us, whatever inconvenience, if he is my king, I will do it. You know, I was in Russia a few years ago. I mean... Two years ago. I was right in the middle of the closed city which they had opened but 15, 20 years ago. That's where they used to have intercontinental ballistic missiles. That's where they're made. And when it's cold, it's cold. For me, anything below 32 degrees is cold. After that, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I was invited to come and speak in a prayer meeting way across town. Small little place. The word went out. People from the other side took two, three buses just to come to a prayer meeting. Because there was an Indian donkey speaking. Be with me. What I'm saying, if you're wanting to get into this transition of leaving this bar and going to this bar, there has to be some lifestyle changes. There has to be a lifestyle change. I mean, we got enough exhortation yesterday and this morning. But we're talking about a different lifestyle. We're talking about the importance of prayer. We're talking about the importance of worship. Y'all with me? If we're talking about that, and there is, the FCA is positioned, you're at the cusp of seeing the big wave from God. 
You are. I'm not saying this as a basketball pep talk because I prayed for you. I mean, not that my prayer is awesome. But God started to download to say, you know, they are positioned. Some of you are in a place, you might think it's a defeat. But you know, if you get the imagery of a bow and arrow, of an archer, you know, when he wants to shoot, he pulls the bow, the arrow. The pullback is not a setback. Pullback is readying. The more you pull, the more tension and the more distance or more accuracy. Is somebody listening to me? Your church, some of you may be in the pullback and you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's a setback. Why is this happening? Why are people leaving? Why am I being sued? Whatever. Whatever. And in that place, instead of throwing your hands in despair, think that you are in a pullback. God is readying for you to be released. And if that's word is for you, you take it right now. You see, when that axe head fell, he was having this stump. And that's what some of us churches have. An axe head. We're making noise. And sometimes people are attracted to this noise and they come and we think it's all wonderful. But it's time, beloved, that we waited on God. Waited on God. Because God has given, you know, in the book of Isaiah, He's numbered the people to give it to you to be shepherd. He's given these people to you. And we need to take that seriously from God. Amen. And now you're saying, Sam, you already got spanked. We don't need another whip. No, this is mild. Compared to what I really speak. You're new to me, so i got to be easy. No, I'll say it like whatever God's saying to me. Amen? So I was in this graveyard... Looking at all the graves and right in the middle. You know, Kang Zinsendorf had a, he said, all the graves must be identical. But that rule did not apply to Kang Zinsendorf. He was dead. Now he can't say, shut up, do it the same way. The others said, you know, we got to honor this guy. So right in the middle of the graveyard was this elevated big grave there, black grave up there and I'm standing at the grave and everything's written in German and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And then I remembered Benny Hinn saying one day, sometime somewhere, you know, he went to Catherine Kuhlman's grave and apparently he got the anointing from there. Now I'm not trying to derive a doctrine from that, but if a dead man was thrown in Elisha's tomb and he came to life, so I'm thinking, man, could that be real for me? And I went and lay down on the grave and this interpreter was thinking, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> I lay down right on the grave and I said, God, I am not even worthy to touch a shoelace, let alone untie it. And I started to weep uncontrollably on that grave. And then I got up and, and God spoke to me. He said, Sam, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes, sir, I am. You know, Sam, there are preachers who preach from knowledge. 
good. There are preachers who preach from charisma. They're great orators. They're very good in their word crafting. And there are preachers who preach after practicing what I had spoken to them. And I'm saying, that's me, God. Because for 70% of that is true. Because I don't preach what I don't practice. And if I don't practice and if I preach that, I'll say so. This is not yet a reality in my life. Are you with me? I would have that kind of humility to say it. Amen? I said, that's me. He says, that's my problem. I said, what? He said, you know, the Pharisees were like that. The Pharisees kept 668 laws. Did you not hear me say to my disciples that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of these Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom? I said, I don't get this. He says, you know, you have been walking in terrible self-righteousness, and that's a stench to me. Sam, I want you to preach from walking with me. Whoa, that changed everything. I want you to preach from walking with me. You know, I wish you all could come to City Church someday and have Pastor Tom preach on the ease of heaven or preaching from, or doing things from rest. You see, when you preach from walking with him, there is literally no stress. I had for about an hour a sort of an insecurity while having lunch. Because that's when I landed on the total word that I was going to speak tonight. Because I didn't know what I was going to preach. That's when I got this word. While having lunch with our city church brothers and sisters. It was awesome lunch. We had a great laugh and everything. I did have that secret. I confess that. But when I went home, I was pacing up and I'm saying, God, I want to walk with you. Now what? Now what, God? And that's why I'm speaking to you. See, this is the conference folder. And this is the exact thing that he spoke to me. And I'm preaching from that. Are you with me? Tell me if God's not speaking to you. I know God is speaking to you. Amen? Amen? Beloved, you have no idea how much God loves you. I mean, he's passionately in love with you. Do not look at your failures. Failures actually are stepping stones to increasing your faith in God. Do not look at your setbacks. But look upon this big God that I described to you. I mean, that was a poor description of the greatness of God. And that God is saying, come on, walk with me. Walk with me. And talk from walking with me. Yes, I am. A, I totally agree. You pastors 
I mean, Sunday after Sunday, you have to come up with a new message. That's not easy. It's easy for an itinerant to come into your church and do one great message. And everybody says, oh, wow. Why can't our pastor preach like that? Yeah, ask him to preach six months in a row. Then let's see what he has. I mean, just because he honed in one, one or two messages that's working for him. So 34 churches, he speaks the same message. That's very easy. But for you pastors, you labored so much. You labored so much. And all your labor has not gone in vain. And this is that moment that I want to speak from the heart of God. To say, he has not given up on FCA. In fact, he's looking upon FCA. Because you've been faithful to him. You've been faithful to him. But only there needs to be a little adjustment. And the first adjustment is to leave this bar and hold on to the next. Amen? So that's how I knew I had lost my cutting edge in Germany. I love preaching. Indians love to talk. You probably noticed by now. Amen? So when this guy said, alas, Lord, it's borrowed. And that's why we're using borrowed messages and trying to get through things. And I believe the Lord is looking at you and saying, what is more important? Is putting all your energies in a school and this and that? You're my priest. Stay with me a while. I guarantee this. If you're persistent and you sit at least once a week in the presence of God, disconnect, take a technology fast, throw your phones away. I mean, 20 years ago, you lived without a phone in your hand. Are you with me? Throw it off and then sit before God. And put this big word, wait. Why am I talking? Shut up. And wait. Can you wait six hours? Yeah, keep your Kool-Aid, whatever, next to you and drink and wait. That's completely different. But the early church did exactly that. Amen? But this is America. We pray, transactional, it must happen now. Not going to happen. Amen? Amen? Amen. Do you love Jesus? Do you still love me? Just checking, just, just making sure. And so he asks a question. Where did it fall? You know, sometimes in theology we call it positional theology. Where did it fall? The specificness, where? That was the first question in the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? I mean, he must have said it more nicely. Adam, where are you? You think God was coming and playing hide and seek? One, two, three, four, five, six, where are you? 
You think he was doing that? He knew exactly where Adam was. He knew, but he was giving Adam an opportunity to say where exactly he was in his relationship. Amen? Where have you laid him? Jesus asked Martha and Mary. Where have you laid the dead body? Where? Where was that problem? Where is it? And he said it flowed, it fell in this river. And he says, show me the spot. He says, that's the spot. Today I'm speaking to three kinds of people here. Others can get into it also if you like. One for those people who are in transition, literal transition in life. Two for those people who are in a season of crisis. And three for those people in the place of recovery. To recover the lost ground. God is a restorer. He will give you back everything that you've lost. Are you with me? His way. Where did it fall? My question to you, where did your accent fall? Did it fall in the river of bitterness? Did it fall in the river of unforgiveness? Did it fall in the river of envy? Did it fall in the river of jealousy? Did it fall in the river of morality? Where did it fall? Is there forgiveness between husband and wife? Where did it fall? Where did your axe head fall? My question to this night is, pastors, leaders, whoever you are, even if you're not a pastor, where did your accent fall? Because you and I know specifically where it fell. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit is very specific. He's not general. Tonight is that night where you need to come before God and say, God, this is where it fell. And do you know what Elisha does very quickly? He breaks a stick and puts it in there. Now, if you read, I mean, you do a word study on that, it re takes you to the cross. He hung on the tree. You see, the power of the cross in the present day and age is hardly talked on. We, talked about, we talk about Jesus the Savior, but the power of the cross. You see, there's so much power in the cross. It is in the cross there's an exchange taking place. It's in the cross there is that transaction that took place. He traded for you. The power of the cross... Yes, you're all pastors and theologians, you know much, and I'm preaching to the gallery, I know that. But yet we need to be reminded that the power of the cross is something that we have to re-engage ourselves as a church to receive that power of transformation. Amen? We talked about transformation. 
Even this morning, when Pastor Scott was talking about, it's not a touch, but a transformation. We come to conferences for touches, but what about the transformation? Well, well, you know Book of Romans, chapter 12. Do not be conformed, but transformed. Transformation is irreversible change. Conforming is you can change by the season and by the peoples or by time, but transformation is reverse, irreversible. And the power of the cross is able to transform you and me. And we need to bring that cross to that place where your accent fell. Where my accent fell. I had to come to grips with that. I had to come with a humility to accept that I blew it. I blew it. I'm not trying to heap condemnation. I'm trying to give you a way out because God is really speaking to some of your hearts. He's apprehending your hearts to say, this is the place. And he threw it and, you know, he didn't. Elisha didn't send a, a group of scuba divers to go down there and pick it up. And at that time, in season, River Jordan was murky. Y'all with me? River Jordan was brown and murky. So you can't even see it if, even if you dive. Nor did he send two people across to some village and go to a blacksmith and says, the master needed one. Here, take it. No. He said to the man, pick it up yourself. You know, some of us could be of this theology where we need to be validated by some pastor or some big name. Your validation is already there at your confession. It's already done. We're looking for validation. We're looking for approval. We're looking for recognition. If only he would say, then I will pick up my... Stop it. The onus is on me. The onus is on you to pick it up yourself. You don't need any church or whatever your hierarchy is to validate you. Oh, unless they have a special meeting and call these people and validate. The onus was pick it up yourself. So the miracle really happens. You know, in the original text, the scripture says it didn't float, it swam. Imagine the iron head swimming towards the sky. The moment you go to pick it up, that will swim towards you. Okay, I don't know, maybe this is a word of knowledge or whatever. May, there may be a few pastors here that may have done something grievous and you've disqualified yourself. And people may have discounted you or have become dismissive in their minds. But let me tell you, if you confessed it to God and made yourself in a place of 
saying, God, my heart breaks for what I did. Hebrews, book of Hebrews says this, and their sins and iniquity will I remember no more. If God doesn't remember it, what business do you have to remind God of your past? What, what business do other people have to remind you of your past when you've already been forgiven? And today, to those pastors, you have no idea God's hope is still in you. God still wants to, I'm not saying I'm condoning anything, no, because as far as I'm concerned, if I see you, I see nothing because you're forgiven. Because of the cross. But how dare you and I judge a person permanently when God is forgiven? How dare we do that when God... You know, in America, two things. Either they crucify the pastor or they ignore the whole issue. Very rarely there is a restoration process. Very rare. And even if it is, they just don't want to do anything with it. They just kind of, you do this, you do that. Or go to some counseling school or something. But the whole body must grieve. You know, there is a tribe. I saw this in Facebook. I, I don't go to Facebook regularly. But someone posted this and I thought it was awesome. You know, there's a tribe in Africa. If that guy did something wrong... Maybe he stole something. You know what they would do? They would bring him right in the middle of the village and the entire village will surround him and say this to him, how good he is. Say all the wonderful things about that man for three full days and he will weep because he would say, God, is, I mean, is this what you guys think of me? Today we are tearing people down. We are not building them up. In this cusp, in this move, there has to be a lot of restoration. And whoever you are, Pastor, I don't want you to be identified. If there's something that you feel disqualified, tonight is that night where you need to come and pick up your accent. You can get your cutting edge back. There's somebody listening to me. And he came and picked it up. And the rest is history. So what's my point tonight? I feel like having three different kinds of call. And it's not the call about, man, what a warm I am. No. It's about a call to respond to a different grace to different groups of people. The first group, the call is if you're in transition and you need the extraordinary grace. You know, you know people talk grace so cheaply. But the grace of God is so different. 147 times the word grace is used in the New Testament. Only 17 of those scriptures fit the category of unmerited favor of God. The, another 20 plus verses are great, could be this or that. And the rest of the verses has this meaning, the enabling power of God. 
What does that mean? You know, a marathon runner, I'll stop with this, I promise. A marathon runner, when he's running, when he comes to the maybe 13th or 14th or 15th or 16th mile, depending upon the person's constitution, he's expended all his energy. There's nothing else left. And so he hits a wall, as they call it, a blackout stage, and that's where most of the people stop or give up. But there are people who are running through the blackout and suddenly they're running faster than when they began. Because what had happened at that moment, the brain is saying, well, signals are going to the brain saying, we're out, we don't have any more fuel left, we, we don't have any energy left, and then it sends a signal to the liver, which is a reservoir for energy, and the liver kicks out its nutrients into the body, and they get that. When you and I have expended all our energy, all what we know how to do, grace comes in when you're done. That is the enabling grace. And that's the grace for those of you who are in transition. Don't come yet. And for those of you who are in crisis of some sort, major, massive, small, whatever the crisis is, there's a, a grace for you. And those of you who are in the recovery, where you've just picked up and you're beginning to start again, there is an extraordinary grace for you. If you fall in any of those three categories, I'm not saying one, 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 but any of those three categories, I want you to stand up and come here and I want to pray for you.